Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Morena, and welcome to everybody. I'd just like to uh, welcome you all here, especially if you're visiting today. Uh, just a, just a, uh, w a special welcome to you. And also welcome to all of those who are uh, zooming in or whatever you call it on the internet to, to see the service. So good morning to you. Can we all please turn around and wave to Sue? <laughs> okay, we might have another attempt at waving to Sue soon. Uh, and of course, obviously, you're waving at the camera down the back. So that's Sue's representative. Okay, we're all good. Let's go for take two. Good morning, Sue. So everybody turn around and... Okay, as, as you've probably heard and, and seen this morning, um, it, we've got the um, sad sad event to um, to um, just to to announce that Joan Pritchard has passed on to the Lord over during the week, which I believe was on um, Tuesday. Um, I remember when I first came here, uh, probably well back in 2007. So however long ago that was, I I do um, recall Gordon and Joan. And um, Gordon's brother, who I think his name was Mervyn or Melvin, Melvin. So they were here. So, um, so I didn't know them very well. But um, Joan has had a long association with the church. I believe she started here when she was four years old. So um, I think she was around about ninety-six. So that's quite a long ninety-seven or ninety-eight. Do I hear 99? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we think that's um, some, some kind of record uh, for being part of the church. Um, I also believe she was a teacher. I was reading something online that um, she was also a teacher and well-known around the district and, and well-respected. Uh, also, uh, uh, we've also just received news this morning that Paul Greenwood is uh, in hospital uh, he's, he's gone by ambulance yesterday so I don't know too much about that so please hold him up in your prayers and other notices so I, ca I came here this morning we didn't have any notices and now I've got a lot um, Jan Martin has a collection of DVDs and CDs that belong to Beth Wright so she has them here to uh, pass on uh, if you would be interested in that. There is a wide variety of DVDs and CDs. Uh, I believe there is the, um, the first series of Call the Midwife, a series of The Crown, and as you would expect, there is uh, quite a few teaching DVDs and a lot of music uh, as well. So um, it's been described to me as being modern classic, and some of the... Um, artists, uh, music artists, uh, Sons of Cora and Westenra. So uh, Beth was quite up with the times, to be honest. So if you'd like to catch up with Jan I, and, I, and her little red car, I believe they're in there, Jan, aren't they? So that's parked out the front there somewhere. Right. Also coming up, 26th of March, we have Praise at 7 here at the church. So that's in your uh, bulletins. So that's the time where we get together and have some praise and worship, and if you're uh, musically inclined, please bring your musical instruments along. Uh, 
if you've got such a, a lovely singing voice such as mine, you can come and be part of that. Those last were for very good reason. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, also, just um, the directory. We're trying to tidy up the directory. So if you haven't already, can you please confirm your details for the directory? So um, that would be Rosalie, catch up with her or fill in a form or something. I think there was those green forms going around. And finally, but not last, not least, talking about long-serving members, John Rayland, it's your birthday tomorrow. <laughs> now, I'm not, not sure that you've been here since you were four, but um, for youth group days, I believe. 50-odd years. So there you go. So I, I won't take a guess at his age then. So 21, I guess. <laughs> Rosalie. Okay, and as you may have noticed, I'm not Calfane. Um So Calfane's uh, ticky touring with some of the boys around the countryside at the moment. Um, so, uh, well, when I say boys, probably some of the older boys. <laughs> in fact, I just thought they're probably casting in at the moment too. So, um, I'll probably have to end in my resignation on Monday. <laughs> Sorry, boys. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> okay, let's open in prayer. Father, we just thank you that we can gather in your name here this morning. And Lord, as we do gather, we just pray that we place you first and foremost in our thoughts and in our worship and in our fellowship together. Lord, you are our salvation. Lord, you are our great creator. And Lord, we just thank you for everything that you've done for us. And Lord, we just praise you and honour you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Good morning, church. It's good to be here to worship our Lord and God. And I'd like to open this morning with reading Psalm 66. So if you have it in your Bibles or on your devices, you may like to turn to this extraordinary psalm. And I'll be living, f uh, I'll be living, I'll be <laughs> reading from the New Living Translation. <laughs> And in the psalm, there are obvious references to um, triumph and adversity, um, but it is a song of praise. The overwhelming theme is praise for our God, the Father, who is sovereign, who answers prayer, and above all, knows us intimately. So Psalm 66, we'll read the, the whole psalm. Shout joyful praises to God, all the earth. 
Sing about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious he is. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Your enemies cringe before your mighty power. Everything on earth will worship you. They sing your praises, shouting your name in glorious songs. Come and see what our God has done, what awesome miracles he performs for people. He made a dry path through the Red Sea, and his people went across on foot. There we rejoiced in him. For by his great power he rules forever. He watches every moment, every movement of the nations. Let no rebel rise in defiance. Let the whole world bless our God and loudly sing his praises. Our lives are in his hands and he keeps our feet from stumbling. You have tested us, O God. You have purified us like silver. You captured us in a net and laid the burden of slavery on our backs. Then you put a leader over us. We went through fire and flood, but you brought us to a place of great abundance. I think that's a reference to the time in Babylon and the subsequent redemption of his people from Babylon. Verse 13. Now I come to your temple with burnt offerings to fulfill vows I made to you. Yes, the sacred vows I, that I made when I was in deep trouble. That is why I'm sacrificing burnt offerings to you, the best of my rams, as a pleasing aroma and a sacrifice of bulls and male goats. Come and listen, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. And if I had not confessed my sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God, who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. Amen. So let's stand and worship this King of Kings. Our first song is To God Be the Glory.
reminds us of God's greatness. See you
if that came across on the broadcast audio well because that sounded fantastic up here. So I'm going to ask the uh, stewards now if they'd like to take up the offering and afterwards the children will go out. And I have a little chore to do. Excuse me. especially um, the provision of this, uh, this fellowship. Let's pray now. Father, as we draw aside from our busy lives and the chaos and carnage that is around us, we pause, Lord God, to remember that you gave your only Son for our sakes that he was the ultimate sacrifice and those things that we do for you are small by comparison. But nonetheless, Lord God, we thank you for being able to support this fellowship. We thank you, Lord God, for being able to support missions throughout the world. We thank you, Lord God, that we can support our neighbors and our friends. We praise your holy name for your provision for us. And we ask, Lord, that these gifts, whether they're given here in the fellowship or online or by other means, we pray that all giving would be for your glory and for your praise. We thank you in Jesus' name for your goodness to us. Amen. Children, if you'd like to go now to Sunday school. Hey, Dominic, well done. Could sit back now and watch the next video in this series that um, I've been thoroughly enjoying. Uh, if you wouldn't mind turning out the lights, I'd be grateful. Why do people make images? People make images to image. They, they want to image forth 
something. If you make a statue of Napoleon, you want people to think not so much about the statue as Napoleon, and you make the statue in a way that would show something specific about the character of Napoleon. So God makes us in his image, and we could argue about is it our rationality or is it our morality or is it our volition that makes us in his image. The point is he makes humans in his image to image something, namely himself. So our existence is about showing God's existence, or or specifically, it's about showing God's glory, which I think means God's manifold perfections, the, the radiance, the display, the streaming out of his many colored, beautiful perfections. We want to think in such a way and live such a way, act and, and speak in such a way that we draw attention to the manifold perfections of God. And I think the way we do that best is by being totally satisfied in those perfections ourselves. They mean more to us than money and more to us than fame and more to us than sex or anything else that might compete for our affections. And when people see us valuing God that much and His glory being that satisfying, they want to know that's quite a treasure. Show me more. I think that's what it means to glorify God by being in His image. And the the place where the glory is shown most clearly is the gospel, where Christ dies, the Son of God dies for sinners. And I say that because in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, the God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So if you want to know, where is the glory of God shining most brightly? The answer is, it's shining in Christ, in the gospel, most brightly. So if we want to be conformed fully into his image and display to others his glory, there's a verse just before that that says, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being changed from one degree of glory to the next and that comes from the Spirit. So we look at Him, we treasure Him, we love Him, and in that we are being shaped into His image. And when it says He made us male and female to do this, not only does that mean we want generations to go on doing this, so there's going to be procreation here, but it means this happens best in community. It's not good for the man to be alone, who's he going to glorify God to? So this this little community that's created at the beginning called male and female is representative of, of the community where the glory of God radiates back and forth to each other and then out to the world. So I, th- I think what I would say is let's do this together. Let's help each other glorify God. time to ask Jen Martin if she would like to pray for us this morning. Thank you, Jen. Heavenly Father, Heavenly, Heavenly Father, we give you all glory and honor and power and might and majesty. You are amazing. You are the King of glory. You are almighty, mighty God. And Lord, we long to glorify you as you created us to. And Holy Father, please lead us and guide us. Fill us with your 
ability to do it by the power of your Holy Spirit that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, we bring our church here, this piece of your whole church, and we ask you to be with those that are not here. Especially pray for Keith and Sue, Lord. Overwhelm them with your presence. Lord, we're calling on your miracle-working power in their lives at this time. Father, we lift up the, uh, Lynn and Lynn and um, Paul before you. Lord, overwhelm them with your presence. Empower them at this time. Strengthen them. Empower them to carry on with all that you've called them to do at this time. May each one of us know you more and more and get as a personal friend. Father, we thank you that you are our creator. We thank you that you are our God. We thank you that you are our savior. We thank you that you are our Lord. And we thank you that you are our friend. May our relationship with you be closer and closer every single day that we would worship you as we just walk and we talk to you as we work as we that we would have relationship with you 24 7 as we go about uh, all the things that you call us to do may we be all that you created in us we ask you lord to bring it out that we might worship you we pray father for the pastor and those with him lord that you protect them and bring them safely home to us and overwhelm them with your presence as they ride give them talks to people father be with them and be with each of one of us that we would be in the right place to show your glory to every person that you put in front of us. Lord, we, want, we just thank you for your love. May your love overflow us to the extent that we might flow it out to those that you bump into us, that we bump into wherever we go, in the supermarket, at work, at school, wherever we are. May your love bubble out of us and that you would be glorified. And we, as we glorify you, you would be glorified. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.
Thank you, Alan. Good morning, everyone. Hi. Back in December, um, just before Christmas, we looked at um, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, and we read, to us a child is born. And we asked ourselves the question, what child is this? And the answer was that he was none other than the Son of God. In January, we looked at a verse from Isaiah chapter 63, verse 9. In all their suffering, he suffered. And the angel of his presence saved them. He redeemed them because of his love and compassion. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. And we asked ourselves the question, what angel is this? And we discovered from the Word of God that it's none other than the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God Himself, in a pre-incarnate revelation. And today we go, following the same theme, we go to a passage in the Gospels. And we will read from the record in Mark in chapter 4 verses 35 to 41 it's the storm on the lake of Galilee <coughs> Mark chapter 4 verses 35 to 41 I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible which was produced in conjunction with the Southern Baptists in the United States on that day when the evening had come he told them let's cross over to the other side of the sea so they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat and other boats were with him a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped he was in the stern sleeping on the cushion so they woke him up and said to him Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Albert Barnes has written, What a vast display of power proceeding from a person and how far exalted above all mortals must he be. The disciples were astonished at such power proceeding from a person who appeared on the face of it to be no different from themselves. But he was different and there had to be an answer. 
he stood up and he rebuked with authority. And he spoke to the sea. He spoke to the wind. He spoke to the waves. And they listened to him as one being given an order and they obeyed him. Obeyed his command immediately. And this is not just an isolated incident. The scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. So we ask the question, what manner of man is this? And the answer is contained within the text. He is both God and he is man. In John chapter 1 verse 1 we read, the word was God. In John chapter 1 verse 14 we read, the word became flesh. He who was God became man. He is man. And we see it in this account here. He said to them, let's go over to the other side of the sea. They took him as he was, tired, and they put him in the boat just as he was. He was tired after a busy day. If we go back to verse, the whole of chapter 4 of Mark is one day of action. Verse 1, again he began to teach by the sea and a very large crowd gathered around him so he got into a boat on the sea and sat down while the crowd, while the whole crowd was on the seashore. He taught them many things in parables and in his teaching he went on to say to them, listen, and then he taught them parable after parable. In verse 10, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he explained them to the disciples. In verse 33 and 34 we read, he was speaking the word to them, that's the people, with many parables like these, as they were able to understand, he did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. So we find here a day of activity, a day of de a demanding program, made more demanding by his disciples who wanted everything explained to them in detail. And so it's no wonder at the end of the day he was weary. One of the commentators I read called him the toiling Christ. And certainly as you read the Gospels and particularly the Gospel of Mark, he was a man of action. He was always up and doing something. And in this account, his humanness is revealed. He got into the boat and he went straight to sleep. It wasn't a place of comfort. It's, it said that he, the translations often say that he went to sleep on the cushion. 
but the translation of that word cushion is not our feather bed. This is not some downy pillow that he was able to rest his head on. It was the seat on the boat that was provided for the person who steered the boat. And it was probably leather covered and it was designed for sitting on. It wasn't designed to sleep on. And he may even have had to share it with the person who was steering the boat. And so it was cramped and it was uncomfortable. But he went to sleep nonetheless, which indicates the degree of his fatigue. Despite the storm, he remained asleep. And none of the jolting and buffeting and if you've been in a small boat on a rough sea, the way that it bashes into the waves, even that jolting didn't wake him. This is not the only example of his humanness. There is woven throughout the Gospels many examples of his humanness. And I was fascinated to watch that clip that we saw about the Lord Jesus because I didn't choose it. I didn't even know it was coming. And yet that's, that's what God does. He is behind everything we do and he is planning and he is directing and he is weaving things together. And these two things didn't happen by accident. And you are not here by accident. His humanness, other examples of his humanness are, are revealed. He knew hunger. In John, chap, in Luke chapter 4 verse 2, when he was in the wilderness and he was being tested by the devil, he became hungry, it says. In Matthew 21 and verse 18, on the way to Jerusalem not long before he was crucified he was hungry and he went to a fig tree looking for fruit he knew thirst in Job chapter 4 verse 7 sitting by the well in Samaria the woman of Samaria came and he said to her give me a drink in John chapter 7 and verse 37 on the last great day of the feast, he stood up and he cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Only he who knows real thirst can tell others how they can be satisfied. John chapter 19 and verse 28, when he was on the cross, after this Jesus knowing that all had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture said, I am thirsty. And it is amazing that when you read the gospel account and all the things he suffered, all the things he endured, all the pain that was inflicted upon him, all the insults, he had nothing to say. He only once showed his need when he said, I am thirsty. And he did that to fulfill the scriptures. 
Isaiah, uh, sorry, Isaiah, Psalm 69, verse 21, was where it's prophesied. For my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And also I read that thirst can also be brought on by the sudden loss of blood, which he certainly experienced. He also knew tiredness. John chapter 4 verse 6, Jesus, the scripture says, Jesus worn out by his, by his journey sat down at the well. It was about noon and he was tired already with the day only half done. Matthew eleven twenty eight. he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Unless we really know what it is to be totally worn out as a human being, we cannot comfort one who is. And certainly he could comfort because he did know. He knew grief. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 13, when Jesus heard about it, that is when he heard about the brutal murder of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod in a drunken party to satisfy a child's whim. Jesus and John the Baptist were contemporaries. Their mothers were relatives. They were born within six months of one another. They had certainly grown up in the same country and knew one another. And John the Baptist had fulfilled a special role which made him particularly special to the Lord Jesus as the forerunner who came to announce the coming of Messiah. And when he heard about this, Jesus withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone, to grieve on his own. John chapter 11, verse 35. I made a mistake on there and I put 45. It should be 35. So if you're looking it up, it's John eleven thirty-five. The scripture tells us that Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible. He was surrounded by those who were also weeping, but there's a different word. They were weeping the loud weeping of mourners who were there to support the family. But he sobbed silently with tears. His was personal. His was a deep grief that he felt. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 we read that he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears. This is speaking more of his time in the garden and on the cross. But he knew grief. Isaiah 53 verse 3. The prophet records that he was a man of sorrows and pain and acquainted with grief. 
Grief was something that he knew about. He knew stress. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 44, being in anguish, he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. That's hematidosis. Hematidrosis. It's a condition in which the capillary blood vessels that feed the the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood. It occurs under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. And it's very significant and very important This point is very significant, very important because it proves that he's a man. Because only a human being can suffer hematidrosis. It's unique to human beings under extreme extreme stress. Also, he said in the garden, he said to his disciples, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. The load of grief that he was carrying, the stress that he was carrying, was loading him down almost to the point of death. He knew pain. Matthew chapter 27 and 34, they gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. And when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. Gall is a bitter substance. It's mixed with vinegar or wine to make it palatable that it was often given to those who were crucified to render them insensible to the pain of death. But he, because he was suffering for our sin, because he was fulfilling God's will upon the cross, There was no way he wanted any of his senses to be dulled. Even though it meant that he had to suffer brutally the pain that it brought, he was determined to retain his faculties right throughout the ordeal. Isaiah chapter 53 and 3 once again It says he chose to suffer. Psalm 22 and 16. The whole of Psalm Psalm 22 and also Psalm 69 and other passages in the scriptures as well, some of them, they contain words that Jesus said and they also contain thoughts that went through his mind at the time. So not everything that you read did he say out loud, but he certainly thought it. And in Psalm 22, verse 16, there's one of those instances, they pierced my hands and my feet. He suffered major blood loss, which would also cause pain. And in Psalm 69, verse 29, Another one of those musics when he said, I am afflicted and in pain. He knew pain. He knew all the things that we endure as human beings. He knew them, experienced them personally himself. 
we look at the storm. The Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. It's 215 metres below sea level. It's 21 kilometres long, 13 kilometres wide, 166 square kilometres. It's a large body of water. <coughs> Sorry. And on its immediate eastern edge is the Golan Heights that rise to a height of 2,814 metres above the lake level, or 9,232 feet. That is the height of, of Mount Rupehu. So if you want to get an idea of this, imagine Rupehu standing right next to Lake Taupo with its northern face, a vertical rock wall going up to almost 10,000 feet. And that's what you have at the Lake of Galilee. And Galilee being a freshwater lake, it's less dense than salt water, so it is more easily whipped up by a strong wind. And certainly as that wind rushed down off that great rock face and blasted against the surface of the lake, it produced a storm that those professional fishermen were not able to cope with. And in their fear, they woke him. When I read what they asked, I should shake my head. Are you concerned that we're perishing? They asked him. Are you concerned that we're perishing? His response was immediately was to stand up, to rebuke the wind. He told it to stop. And he said to the sea, lie down. Normally, on a stormy body of water, when the wind drops, the waves go on, possibly even for days. But here, there was a complete calm immediately. Now, the men were afraid of the storm. But we read that when they saw what Jesus had done, when he spoke to the storm, they were terrified. A much stronger word. In fact, the Greek word that's translated here, terrified, is a word from which we get our word phobia. The storm didn't terrify them, but what Jesus did to the storm did terrify them. And they looked at one another, and in hushed tones, they said, who then is this? Who then is this? And the answer is, He is God. He who said, Let there be light, now said, Let there be calm. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 The Spirit of God, Elohim, God plural, God Father, Holy Son, and Spirit moved over the surface of the waters in creation. The wind and the waves obey him because he created them. Also, the demons obeyed him. The demons recognized who he was. 
in Mark chapter 5, verse 7, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? One of the demons demanded of him. We also read that he, when the demons recognized who he was, he, re, he refused to, to allow them to announce who he was. They knew he was the Son of God. They knew his true identity, even if the people around refused to believe. He also knew what people were thinking. John chapter 2 and verse 25 we read, He did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. In Matthew chapter 9 verse 4, But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? He knew what they were thinking. He didn't need to be told. In chapter 5, in John chapter 5 and verse 18, we read that he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. When he said God was his father, the Pharisees got really really agitated because they knew in their culture that meant that he was claiming equality with God. He made himself equal with God. In John chapter 10 and verse 30, he made that remarkable statement, I and the Father are one. That is one in essence, and one in nature. He who was born onto this earth as a man was also the Son of God. He's the Son of God from eternity past. And He and the Father are one. We read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, that remarkable passage that states that our Saviour truly is both man and God. Your attitude shall be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's who he is. That's who we have to deal with. So what does this mean to you and me? As we have heard from Philippians chapter 2, all will bow before Jesus in the coming day. All will confess. More than that, every tongue will confess that he is Lord then it won't be done willingly. It will be done because it has to be done. 
He is not just a man who lived a good life. People who say that are talking nonsense. He is God. And what you must do then, as recorded in Philippians chapter 2, you can choose to do now. Each of us has the choice. We either bow now or we bow later. But one way or the other, we all bow before him. Have you made him Lord of your life? Have you chosen him as your saviour? Have you confessed him as Lord? He will receive you now if you repent and turn to him. I pray that you will. yet to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour, then by all means have a talk with Alan. Find out what it's really all about. Thank you, Alan. So
favorite blessing for each other. So we sing this to each other and to Jesus Christ. Trust in him this week and he may bless you. He will bless you. Keep him close. Amen. Please join us now for um, some refreshments if you can. That would be wonderful.